in what does God expect from us? I've come to the point, or have have we, all of us, it's something to think about. I, I was thinking about this uh, this week, and uh, I want to ask myself, and I ask you too, have we hit that point in our life where we can say God is God? I work with a fellow that it pays me well, but he doesn't really know God is God, not like, you know, we're supposed to know God. We're supposed to know Him so good that we're going to follow Him in everything. But we don't always do that, do we? We have our righteousness, and God wants us to develop His righteousness. And with that, I look back and I see where Christ said, I can do nothing of myself, but what what God tells me, those are the things I do. Now, how often do we do that? If we knew God like Christ knew God, then we would understand the fact that we must rely on God for righteousness. We don't always do that. We have our ideas and uh, so does Israel. I look back at that and I thought, you know, Israel never learned the fact that God was God. You know, when they were in Egypt, God brought them out. They spent 400 years. Of course, God was doing that for a purpose. He wanted them to understand that He was God. And He performed massive miracles in front of their eyes. And after 400 and some years, God said to Israel, or to Egypt rather, that's enough. And He brought Israel out. He gave them freedom. I look at us here today. I think I had that was given freedom by God, freedom from the world and unknowing what was going on. And God gave me that understanding, and He's given it to you too. But Israel, you know, look at what they had. God did that for a purpose, and He brought them out. He put them at a point between death and life. Death, the Egyptian army behind him, and life to go across a body of water. That, you know, it's not like we saw in the movies of the Ten Commandments where they had that space that was maybe about 50 feet wide. And can you imagine six million people? Who knows how many cows, sheep, goats, carts, went across that thing in a matter of a few hours. That space was probably two miles wide and it was probably over five miles across. And yet they got across that in a short period of time. But God did that for a purpose. He wanted that nation to understand that He was God. Not some idol or something, but that was God's purpose. And we should want to understand that too. We've seen miracles. We live by those miracles. But, like Israel, even though God gave them freedom, He gave them life, He fed them, and what did they do? It's not enough. 
It wasn't enough. They wanted more. How about today? I look at uh, at this little group of people. I look at Anatoth and I say, God gave us a beautiful place to live. He gave it to us. But we've come to a point to say, hey, it's not enough. I want more. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. And so, people in society today, here in the church of God, every place, all over, feel that they need more. Well, we do need more teaching of God, but we don't need more physical things, and that's what we're out trying to get. Sometimes we think we have the answers, and so it's our mind and our self-righteousness that seems to uh, get in the way. Our self-righteousness. We know the answers. And yet God, with His ultimate wisdom, who wants us to understand that He is God, He took this book, and in the book He put one book, one book of the books called Job, to teach us a lesson about righteousness. It's important to understand in Job chapter 1, turn over there, Job chapter 1, God sets times, seasons, He sets appointed times to come to. It's not just for us. It's for all His children, angelic host and people. And so here in Job chapter 1, we see where God called a special occasion. Job chapter 1 verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. So God sets things. He requires, He wants our us to be like Him. Not our own self-righteousness, but godly righteousness. He wants to teach us. We know that if we go to Leviticus 23, we see that God sets specific days. One of them is a Sabbath. Those are commanded assemblies. Whether it be the Sabbath, or Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. Those are set times. God expects people to be there, including the angels. And so, God in this book to teach us that self-righteousness is not what He wants. He brought them in there. And in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Whence came you, Satan? And he answered the Lord and said, From going here and there and walking to and fro in the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? See, God knew Job's problem, just like he knows our problems. He knew that Job could take a lot. But he knew Job was self-righteous. Have we not understood that in our own life? What did Job do? Well, Satan put him down, took everything away from him. 
And Job stood up and said, well, God gives and God takes away. But I'm good. So then they came back again on another day, commanded. And Satan told God, well, you know, all you have to do is hurt him physically and he will turn against you. Well, God knew that Job's righteousness wasn't going to allow him to turn, him, turn that easy against him. And what did we find out? Through this book that's here to teach us about godly righteousness and self-righteousness. Job argued all the way through Job, through the book of Job. He argued with his three friends. We do that today. You know, it doesn't do any good to argue over religion or politics. It doesn't do you good or anybody else to sit up there and say, I am righteous enough to know that you are wrong. And that's what happened all the way through there. Now, I don't want to go and be in the same position that Job was. I don't want to have the boils or be sick that point to prove that I'm righteous or not righteous. What happened with Job in chapter 42 and verse 1? God showed Job that Job, he said, I am God. And Job finally realized that over, over the time and, and this constant arguing with his friends. And God had to come to Job and say, Now you tell me, Job. Why does fish swim in the sea? Why do birds fly? How do they fly? What makes them fly? Why do, like me, I have a little dog here that, that cannot feed himself. He, I supply him with food, a place to stay. I help him when he's sick and hurt, and his company. And so God said to Job, Tell me how these things happen. Why is the planet like it is? Why do you have air to breathe? Job couldn't answer him. So there in Job 42 and verse 1 says, Job finally came to that point after God put his finger in there and explained to him that he wasn't as righteous as he thought. He said, I know you uh, can do everything and that no thought can be withholding from you. Do we, do we understand that we cannot hide our thoughts, our actions, our way of life from God? God wants us to live His way. So He says, you can't hide these things from me. I know your thoughts. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Job asking himself that question, and God answering it, you know. Who, who are you, Job? How can you... You don't have the knowledge. God in Hebrew uh, in Romans ten tells us the only way we're going to know about God is that we have to have someone teach us. We can't have someone teach us if they decide to come by themselves in Romans ten. He said, I send them. I'll first instruct them and then I'll send them. And I'll teach you through preaching. And Paul said that was the, the first.
funniest thing to do is to teach somebody by preaching. But God did it. And God calls, God selects, God appoints, and God expects us to listen. So he goes on here in Job. He said, Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Wherefore, I utter that I understood not. You know, I could grasp the fact that I didn't. I now understand, Job was saying, that I didn't understand these things. They were too wonderful for me to know. Well, God through history has taught people by those that he calls and inspires to teach. Here, I beseech you, he said, let me, let me tell you, God, that I will speak and I will tell you that I declare unto me, I, you declare unto me, Father, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ears, but now my eyes see you. When Job finally came to see God as God, he repented. It's hard to do that as a human being, isn't it? Is to turn ourselves around and say, Yeah, hey, I, I believe now that you are God. Last week I covered several things on us to learn to understand that God is God. What God requires of us, what God expects us to do. I gave you a definition of righteousness. Righteousness. And then I covered three points that would help us to come to that aspect of understanding God is God and what He wants from us. First thing was, I brought out that we are to fear God. Fear Him for His power and His might, but also to fear Him for His love and compassion, His authority, and what He is. The second thing I brought out was we have to learn to walk with God like Enoch Moses David Abraham many people even the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John all walked with God we are to learn in our journey in life to walk with God and the third thing I brought out was we need to learn to love God with every ounce of energy, every part of our body, we need to learn to walk with God and to love God because He is God. And when we understand the fact that God is God, we will love Him and He will love us. So I want to go on from that point of those three things and this time I want to talk about seeking God because it's important for each one of us if we're going to know that God is God we have to get ourselves to that point where we seek God. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 begin in verse 25. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 25 because God wanted Israel to know him here before Moses died the last of the 40 years that Moses was teaching the people he said verse 25 when you shall be beget children and children's children 
you shall have remembrance, uh, remain long in the land and shall, uh, shall corrupt yourself and make a graven images. So he said, if this is what you do, corrupting yourself and making graven images in the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. We've got to watch the way we live. Because if we make ourselves self-righteous and turn from God and create something else as a God, and there are many things we can use, we're going to get a God angry at us. And we will not do well from that. 26. I call heaven, Moses said, and earth to witness against you this day that uh, you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whether you go over Jordan to possess it and shall not prolong your days upon it but shall utterly be destroyed. If we turn away from God, if we forget what we are to do, if we lose the vision, lose sight, God said, He's going to destroy us. In my lifetime, I've seen people walk away thinking they'll start another organization, think they'll do something and even Christ, when the Pharisees got together and said, we're going to destroy these people, and the one Pharisee said, if it's of God, you're fighting God. If it's not, it ain't going to last. God will destroy it. Verse 27, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. Have we not been scattered? Under, under Mr. Armstrong. We were together. We had a leader. We had a focus. We had a way we were going. But when he died, we were broke up and scattered everywhere. And you shall be few in number. Look at us today. As back in the time of the highlight of, or the peak of the Worldwide Church of God of 150,000 people, we are now down to a few thousand We've been scattered among nations wherever we went. And there shall come, and there we shall serve other gods. Are we not doing that? Many people walk back to other gods. The work of men's hands, wood and stone, and, and things that can't see or hear, statues. Our, our body, our group of people have been scattered because we have forgotten our God and we don't seek Him as we should. But if you, therefore, you shall seek the Lord. So here He's telling us, and this is for us today, but if you hence you shall seek the Lord your God, you shall find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all the things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if you will turn to the Lord your God, you shall and shall be obedient unto His voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget you, forget the covenant of the fathers which He swore unto them. God says if we will look for Him, if we'll turn ourselves around and start seeking God and not ourselves, look for God's righteousness. 
He's not going to forget us. He will continually help and guide us. Turn over to Micah now. Daryl covered this in the Minor Prophet series. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Here, God speaking to us at this day and time. Hear you, verse 1, hear you now what the Eternal said. Arise, contend you before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. So, we're to listen to and study in front of all the governments that are out there. Hear you, mountains, God is saying. He's talking to the governments of the church. Hear you, mountains, the Lord's controversy and you, and, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with His people and, with, and He will plead with Israel. The church, each little group, God's going to plead with us. He wants us to return to Him. Oh, my people, God says. Oh, my people. What have I done unto you? God wants to know what He's done to us. Has God gone contrary to us? Has God done something wrong to us? Wherein have I worried you? Testify against me. What has God has brought us out to a, a desert area? For what reason? Is it to put us down, to hurt us, or to build us up? He brought us here for a purpose. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And He told us to come out of the cities, come to the desert. I'm going to teach you and train you. Come out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of a, of a servant. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God has sent many people to teach us and train us goes on, oh my people, remember how uh, what Balak, king of Moab, uh, consulted and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him with in Shittim and in uh, Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. God wants us to consider that God is righteous. Verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Is that what we say? How, how are we going to come to God? What should I do to come before Him? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings and, uh, and with calves and of a year old? Is this what I want, God says? Do I want you to kill animals before you can come to Me? Will the Lord be pleased? He says, Am I going to be pleased with a thousand uh, rams or with a ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give uh, my firstborn? Ask yourself, do I give my firstborn for the transgressions of, and for the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is this what God wants from me? God is going to tell us what He wants. 
You know, I brought out last week that uh, that God wants us to have the attitude of I will give my life for my people. And you know, that's what God did. He gave His firstborn. He sacrificed Christ. You have to understand, Christ gave up eternity that we might have eternity. And that's what God expects from us. That type of an attitude. So He goes on to say, I'm going to tell you how to have that attitude and what I expect from you. Verse 8, which is a pivotal chapter, a verse. Something that we should have so fixed in our mind that we can't forget it. He said, He shows you, O man, no man, woman, human being, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. This is what we are to do if we are going to honor God and have Him as our God and to know God as God. There is no other God. But to do this, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Three important aspects of life if we are going to understand that God is God and to have godly righteousness. To, to do justly. A definition of justly is according to what is morally right or fair or fairly in a way that is well-founded and justifiable. That's a definition of doing justly. That's what we have to learn to do, is to do things justly. The biblical definition is in conformity to the law, justice, or priority by right. The offender is justly condemned, the hero is justly rewarded, applauded, and honored. That's God's definition. It goes on. God's definition. According to truth and fact. What is truth? God's Word is truth. So everything we do, our life has to be based on truth and fact, not imaginations, not on things we can, say, justify by. It has to be fact. His character is justly and describable. Honesty, fairly, with integrity, as to do justly. So God's definition of justly has to be our just our definition of justly. Genesis chapter nine, uh, chapter eighteen. I know it's in here. There it is. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. And while the... Uh, I'm sorry, wrong chapter. There it is. 16. And Genesis 18:16. And when the man rose up... So here's the case. When 
Abraham, God came, God and two angels came to Abraham in order to take down uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we know that angels are much powerful than men. And one angel went to Sodom, one went to Gomorrah, took out two cities. So here they came. And the men rose up from hence and looked toward Sodom and, and, um, and Abraham went with them to bring them to the way. And the Lord said, and Shall I hide from Abraham that which uh, I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. So we have to grasp that God is in charge. He's going to show him that he blessed everybody by Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice, judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham and upon and upon Abraham that which he has spoken to him. God says, I'm going to keep it. I will keep what I'm doing. Because he knew Abraham. He knew Abraham would teach his children and his children's children about God. Is that the way we live our life? Do we trust a God that much that we do things the right way, justly? In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, 1 Samuel 15:22, God, through Samuel, said to King Saul, because King Saul did not do that which he should have. He was commanded to take and destroy the Amalekites. He was commanded to destroy everything they had. He didn't do that. He thought he was better do more than God. Self-righteousness, wasn't it? So he came in Samuel 22 and says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings? Because king says, Hey, we brought these animals to sacrifice to God. Has God burnt offerings and sacrifice? As what? As in obeying the voice of the Lord your God. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to do the right thing, the just thing. Proverbs 21, verse 3. You can write that down. To do justly and judgment is more acceptable to God than a sacrifice. To do it the right way. To do it with fairness and honesty. And if the man is guilty, you do it right. He's judged by his guilt. And if he's right, you still judge by it. So you have to do everything rightly go to Isaiah 1 verse 16 here God talking to us to the church today to each and every one of us God is talking to us he says here in Isaiah 1 verse 16 wash you make you clean there's something for us to do isn't it 
Get us clean. Wash us with the water of the Word. Wash you. Make you clean. Put on, uh, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, God says. Look at your life. Change. Repent. Turn around. Cease to do evil. Well, that's a big lot to do, isn't it? To cease evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Righteous judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless as fatherless. The oppressed as oppressed. Please for the, plead for the widow. The widow that's a widow. Plead for them. Come now and let us reason together, said the Eternal. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as red as crimson, they shall be, shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. We have to be willingly wanting to change. So that first point, an impressive point, an important thing for you and for me today is to do it the right way. To do it justly, honorably. Not to do it as so many people do. The second point, great important point that God expects to us as He brought out there in Micah 6, verse 8, is to love mercy. That's a difficult thing. Somebody says something and hurts your feelings. Can you have mercy and forgive him? Can you turn your life around and, and not condemn them? We're human. We all make mistakes. And when we come to realize we're not perfect and nobody else is perfect, can we have mercy on them? In the book of Psalms, chapter 37 and verse 26 it says he is ever merciful who is he here it is God is ever merciful enlightens and his seed is blessed God says if we're merciful then our seed will be blessed too we've got to show some mercy to be to the point that this is living like God. In Hosea 6, verse 6, again, Hosea 6, 6, For I desire mercy, what God says, this is what I want. I don't want people to be angry and fighting and with everybody. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So again, he's pinpointing the fact that he don't want sacrifice. He wants mercy. Can we find good in somebody else? If we're going to be like God, if we're going to walk like God, if we're going to be at that point like Paul and Moses and many others in the Scriptures that would say, I will give my eternal life that somebody else might have eternal life because that's what God did. To do that, we've got to be merciful. 
God sent Christ here to forgive my sins and yours, that's mercy. We don't deserve it. In verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 6 of Hosea, Wherefore turn you unto your God. Keep mercy and judgment. So here, combining the two. Mercy and judgment. And wait on your God continually. We have to have mercy for each other. And we have to have patience. We really got to take and make some changes in our life. The unpardonable, I mean the uh, unmerciful servant. Remember that one? In Matthew 18, verse 32. Then the Lord, uh, then his Lord, remember God gave mercy to the one. He helped him out. He bent over. Forgive everything, even though he owed him a lot. But the servant of the servant owed little. That Here in Matthew 18, verse 32, Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I gave you mercy. I forgave you all your debt because you desired of me. Is that not what God has done to us? He's forgiven us. I'm not... a a real great spiritual uh, not sinner. I'm a great sinner. But God says, yes, have uh, had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you. So God's forgiven us. Can't we look on each other and have mercy on somebody else? Christ has done that to us. And his servant was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Likewise shall your, my heavenly Father, Christ said, do unto you if... You know, see, Christ put this on to each one of us. He said, if you're going to love me and walk with me, and be righteous, he said, if you from your heart forgive not everyone else, uh, everyone his brother, his trespasses, he will not forgive ours. But if we do forgive it, he will forgive us. We have a lot to learn to be godly. We have a way to go. Ephesians chapter 4. Most of these you can probably just dot them down and look at them later and see. Ephesians 4, verse 32. And be you kind one to another. Here, Paul, inspired by God to write to be kind one to another. Sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? We can get our feelings hurt. It's difficult to be kind to somebody else. Tender-hearted. Boy, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So when we relate to having godly righteousness, which we're looking forward to, we're looking forward to understanding God as God. One of His characteristics is He's forgiving. 
He's merciful. Psalm 136, every verse says, God's mercy endures forever. How long does your mercy endure? For God forgives each one of us. He is tender. He's kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. And that's what He expects from us. Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians 3.12 points out, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Are we not the elect of God? Has He not called us and given us special knowledge? Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be holy, beloved, have bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. That's requirements to be like God. In Galatians 5.22, it gives you the, the whole characteristics of Christ. His character is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the characteristics of God. That's Christ's characteristics. That's what He expects from us. He wants us to be like Him. So if we're going to be like Christ, then there's two points right there that we must change and and do in our life if we're going to be like God. We're going to have to have mercy and we're going to have to be just in our, our actions one with another. We're going to have to do things right. We're going to have to have mercy on others. The third point that's so important is covered there in Micah 6 verse 8. If we're going to be like God, if we're going to have godly righteousness, we need to walk humbly. We've got to learn to be humble. I wish that's a difficulty because, you know, I know all these things. I am so good. I know all the answers. You know, look at Job. His friends come up, each one in their own turn, said, but you're doing this wrong. You don't do that right. And Job come back and said, but, but I do it right. I know that I'm better than you. I know I don't do the wrong things. I know that God likes me. I know who God is. He was righteous in his own eyes. And he wasn't humble. But God wants us to be humble. Isaiah 57, verse 15. God wants us to be like Him. Be willing to say, I'm going to do it God's way. And put down your own pride and self-righteousness and your attitude that I am better than the next guy. Attitude. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the High and Lofty One that inhabits the eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is contrite and humble in spirit. Wasn't that Christ the most humble being on earth? 
to receive the spirit of the humble. He said, I'm going to receive those that are humble like him and to reserve and reserve the heart of the contrite ones. So God's going to receive you if you're humble. You've got to humble yourself and say, yep, I believe that God is God. I believe that God is in charge. I trust God for everything. Isaiah 66, verse 2. One most people have memorized and kept down where Christ speaking through the, book, through the prophet Isaiah to every human being and especially to the church. It says, For all these things has my hand made. What things? The heaven and the earth. Everything that's out here. He's given us everything. Because He made it. My hand's made. And these things have been said the eternal. But to this man will I look. Here is who God is looking to. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. That's how to become humble. You're humble when you realize that you are not the most rich, most famous, most important person. First Corinthians tells us that. Paul said, who is God called? Is He called the great and the mighty, the powerful? No, He called the weak and the base. And when we realize that, we realize then we're going to be humble enough to say, yep, I'm not the greatest in the world. And God has called me. So He's looking at the poor, the contrite spirit, the humble spirit. And when you tremble at God's Word, God is important. God is everything. God is God. There is no other besides Him. But He wants us to be like Him. And He has taken time to allow us to be a part of what He's doing. Luke 18. You can turn to Luke 18, beginning in verse 13. Luke 18, 13. And the publican... So here's the man who went to pray. There were the two. The scribe or the Pharisee, who stood up and says, I am great. Self-righteousness in him. I am of the elite. I am the most important person around when he prayed to God. But here, God says, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking to. The publican, standing afar off, would not even lift so much as his eyes to heaven. He realized who he was. Nothing is compared to God. I am nothing. But smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you come to that point that you are humble, you understand that you are a sinner. That you are short in what you do. I am a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and him who humbles himself shall be exalted. When 
the answer to being a part of what God wants, when you're humble, you will be exalted. He's offered to us the price to be the bride of Christ. He's offered to us the opportunity to teach all the rest of humanity in their time, when it's their time, how to be God. So he wants us to be humble. And that's an important aspect of our life. If we're going to be like him, we need to be humble in every aspect of our life. He goes on in James 4, in pointing this out, James chapter 4, verse 6, James 4, 6, But He gave more grace. God gave more forgiveness, more loving kindness. Wherefore, He says, God raised up, uh, God resists the proud. The person that's not humble, the person with self-righteousness, who's a prideful person, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. Humble yourself to God. Resist the devil. You know, God's way is eternity. Satan's way is destruction. God builds, Satan destroys. Resist Satan and free from him. You know, it's too easy to... We've heard Daryl constantly say, and we say, well, Daryl's oppressive. He's putting us down. He tells us not to watch... TVs all of our life. He tells us not to listen to the wrong music. He tells us not to eat the wrong food. Oh, it's so oppressive to learn to be healthy and to be righteous and to follow God. That's, that's the wrong attitude. That's a satanical attitude. We're supposed to resist Satan. To get away from him. Draw nigh to God, verse 8. And he will come to you. If we seek God with our heart and our mind and our, our willingness to be humble, if we're willing to do things right, if we're willing to have mercy and we seek God, He will come close to us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We have two minds. We have a Sabbath mind and a worldly mind. And that's double-mindedness. We need to get away from that. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be affectionate and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself. He inspired James to write. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Eternal and He shall lift you up. Stop thinking you are so great and start looking at the fact that it is God that gives to the humble. Again, Peter, saying in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 6, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Do we have a difficulty as young people submitting to older people? Do we have a difficulty as young in spiritual life of looking to those that God has made as elders in the church. Church people that 
are, have got to that point to say, I am as good as the next guy. Well, we're not as good as Christ. If our pride keeps us separated from God. Yes, all you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. That's a difficulty. We come to each other and we will argue anything because we're not going to be admit that somebody else might be a little bit better than me or maybe a whole lot better than me. But he's telling us to submit ourselves to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud God resists the self-righteous and gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and he is going to exalt you in his time not your time his time frame so if we're going to be like God if that's our, our purpose, uh, you can go on and read all of Psalms chapter 1. Go on and read all of Psalm chapter 15. These things tell us how to be righteous. What David went through. How David submitted to God. Read all of chapter 24 of Psalms. There's plenty to do, plenty of places to go. It's important for us, if we're going to be like God, if we're going to have godly righteousness, we have many things to cover. The three important points that we covered today that are very important in our life. Uh, also, going back to what I brought last week, to be righteous. We have to, one, learn to fear God. That has to be the first important point to becoming righteous. Fear God, for He is God. His power, His might, His love. We have to want to walk with God. It is a desire that has to be. It has to be your everyday life to walk with God. We have to love Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our being. Those are things that we have to do. Then we have to live justly. We have to do what's right. Not what we think is right, but what is right. We have to Love mercy. We have to be like God to have right godly righteousness. And it's difficult to be merciful. But that's a requirement. And the third thing then is we have to walk humbly. It's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to admit that somebody's better than you are. And certainly difficult to admit that God is right. So, in this journey that we're doing, and God's called us to a journey in life, God wants us to be righteous. 
Do you want to be righteous? That's the question. That comes to the bottom line. What do you want from life? And how far are you willing to go? It's difficult. But self-righteousness is satanical. Godly righteousness is godly. So let's put our heart into loving each other and doing things, being humble, merciful, loving, forgiving. And go back to Galatians 5. Go over those points of godly character in your life where you find you're falling short. Work on that point until you get all of God's character. So, it's a blessing to be a part of God's way of life. Work at being merciful and kind. Okay, George.